Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Lookout Landing (laughs) podcast. My name is John Troopin. I am the Deputy Managing Editor at Lookout Landing. uh, And we are live today at Safeco Field. Uh, That's right, live. Uh, We have once already been interrupted by an usher. uh, And I suspect the audio experience will only uh, decrease from here. Uh, So I apologize to you, the listener, for that. But... Um, it's been a bit of a hectic week. Uh, Kate is not with me, uh, getting the week off. And so thankfully I have two able-bodied folk with me. Uh, who, who do I have with me here today? Well, my name's Zach. I write for Lookout Landing. I'm not a deputy managing editor though. That is, uh, not an honor that's been bestowed upon me. Only the truly elite are allowed to become deputy managing editors. Indeed. That is Zach Gottschalk, uh, recap extraordinaire. Uh, and on my right... Uh, this is Isabel. Uh, this is actually a real test of how loud my speaking voice actually is naturally, um, which is <laughs> not at all. Um, and I'm also a writer for Lookout Landing. I've been on the podcast. And most importantly, today I gave voice to uh, all of the kind of all of the public um, for wanting to DFA Mark Sepchinski. Indeed. Uh, so we are we are recording this. Uh, it is the top of the second inning. The Mariners are leading one to nothing thanks to a D Gordon triple. Uh, but I think the taste most uh, most overwhelmingly still in all of our mouths is last cheesesteak uh, cheese in the case of Zach. <laughs> uh, and uh, as well, what, described as I believe the old, the best thing in Safeco Field, uh, is that is that correct? Uh, for thirteen and under, I would say it's correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, a gold glove for a fan in the stands there. Um, last night's loss to the Texas Rangers, uh, mostly at the hands of Mark Zepchinski with an assist from Scott Service, as you put it, Isabel. Isabel, you wrote uh, on the website, the Lookout Landing. Uh, it is, uh, you may be familiar with it. Um, it enough is enough. I mean, we, we've said it a few different times, but I mean, there, is there any real explanation or, or excuse for Zepchinski still being on the roster? Very nice man, but is there a fit? No, I mean, like, the bullpen does not have any wiggle room, just like the team doesn't have any wiggle room. And it's not a money issue with Zep. Like, you just 
ate you ate that contract as soon as you signed him to an eleven million dollar deal for someone who's like who averages maybe ten pitches per outing. Um, but the problem is that he's just a body out there, and he could be a more. I'm trying to be louder. <laughs> he could be a more useful. He could be Wade LeBlanc. He's not Wade LeBlanc. Wade just struck out, I believe, his second or third hitter. They just, like, they don't have it. They don't have a reason to be Yeah, there's really not much of a fit. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's incredibly kind. <laughs> so, the Ashers at Safeco Field unparalleled in their attentiveness. Uh, we just received baseball cards, including... Um, Ryan Schimpf. Mark Trumbo, Oriole, not Mariner. Gary Sanchez, Carlos Gonzalez, Ian Desmond, and Carlos Correa, and Sonny Gray, but when he was with the Athletics. Uh, and I don't know what the back, if there's any information there. Uh, it, it appears to have the statistics of each player written out in words, though. Uh, <laughs> in sort of an old-fashioned uh, font. Um, so, yes, it is It is just difficult to see. I, Zach, you had the recap last night. Did you... What, what was your feeling when Zepchinski even was brought in? Were you, were you hopeful then, or how, how did it go? It was not good, John. It was negative on all counts. Um, you know, I'm generally pretty negative as it is, and I saw I saw the, the old Zeppo come in, and I could not have been more more pessimistic. And he rewarded my pessimism with making it even worse than my wildest nightmares. I mean, I guess he didn't give up a home run, but the man is bad at baseball. He's atrocious. He's an insult to left-handed pitchers everywhere. The very role of a loogie has no place being on a roster, much less a roster that's trying to win a baseball game. Or a roster that's trying to make a playoff spot. Just a garbage player. (laughs) People were talking in the comments earlier today and have talked in the past like, who do you get to replace Zepchinski thinking like, oh, you want another kind of lefty specialist, but you don't really need a specialist at this point. You just need a competent reliever. Like, yeah. Bring like bring on the Tacoma shuttle again. Sean Armstrong can maybe throw a couple innings. Like, Jason Bradford's around. Just, it, do, it doesn't need to be another lefty specialist, and if for whatever reason you really need to cling to that, Pazos can do a functional job mm-hmm. when he's focused and not showing us 2017 James Pazos. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I agree. To the point of, you know, making a playoff push, uh, I, I mean, and really even sticking in the bullpen, you know, since we've last talked, the Mariners made really the first big trade acquisition of the entire season, um, making a move for uh, Alex Colome, uh, a.k.a. Uh, the Stallion, the Stallion yeah. um, <laughs> as well as Denard Spann, uh, a.k.a. Maybe the Spaniard, um, and just you know, suddenly the Mariners, you know, going from 
a bullpen that was a struggling one, Nicasio. Uh, Nick Vincent's seemingly perpetually borrowed time of successfulness, and Edwin Diaz to what what looks like a reasonably competent bullpen. Uh, I mean, you know, does it? Do you feel like after this? Most, you know, other than the last couple games of this Ranger series, where do you guys feel just about the the concept of Seattle Mariners playoff contender? I feel great. I think the Angels suck. I really think they're horrible. <laughs> the A's might be good, honestly. They're just like the A's. They're what the A's always are, and that like they could be good, but like I don't really know why. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. Like I could name like six A's, maybe. <laughs> they all start with Matt. Yeah, sure, a lot yeah. of mats on that team, uh-huh. uh, but but yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about the Angels. I'm not worried really about the A's. I think the Mariners would have to f up spectacularly to get out of a playoff spot. That is perhaps not the most encouraging uh, requirement. Uh, sorry, we interrupt this segment for Isabel Manassi pumping both fists in the air as Guillermo Heredia singles up the middle. But it, but it does really feel like, I mean, seeing the team, you know, which we have maybe felt, oh, there's something more than the projections you're seeing, or oh, there's something more than national people are, are, are seeing here just because we follow it so much, but that suddenly by projections the team looks like an 88-win team or, or an 87-win team at least, and if they can even just be that, like suddenly you're pretty comfortably in the playoff conversation. I mean, you know, that's just a remarkable departure from where I think we were, you know, a month ago, two months ago of, of a lot of uncertainty about this team. Uh, you know, is, is there anyone in particular, I guess, that you guys have been most impressed by so far? Well, I mean, to go back briefly to the playoffs question, I think uh, if you have a subscription to The Athletic or if you have someone kind and generous like uh tim uh <laughs> brendan mccarthy did a q a that they shared earlier today and he someone asked him about why whether he had expected the braves to do so well this year why it was happening what all of like the projections kind of meant to him and he was saying that like you assemble a lot of talent every year regardless um and it's just a matter of how they all mesh and how everything comes together and how these guys perform on an individual basis, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I liked his answer. I massacred it a little bit. But, um, <laughs> I mean, Heredia has been astounding in a way that we're finally seeing him healthy for the first time like, and fully back into the swing of baseball things. I've got a piece coming on him probably not this week because tomorrow's Friday, but sometime next week he got shoved for Mark Sepchinski. <laughs> but also, like, D. Gordon, just at the start of this game, there's a he injects a new kind of life into this team, and I think that an underrated and very hand-wavy way of looking at this team is that they're pretty bound together, I guess. They feed off each other pretty rapidly in a way that you see them able to carry on long stretches successfully as a group. Uh, and when everything kind of falls apart, you see everyone <laughs> fall apart, Very which I imagine is 
similar in all circumstances, but like certainly similar in high school baseball if you watch <laughs> any of that. Uh, Zach, who has most stood out to you or most impressed you in uh, in the Mariners' recent stretch of success? I mean, I mean, the man's been hurt for the last ten days, but it has to be D. Gordon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, not to not to pull like a seven ten ESPN, but. I mean, you take this team, and it's easy to say, oh, chemistry doesn't matter. But, like, then you look at D. Gordon, you know, and then you look at Gene Segura. You look at literally pretty much anyone on the team. And then you compare them to, say, 2010. Griffey falling asleep, you know, rumors flying. Eric Burns bicycling out of the clubhouse. (laughs) What a disaster. And obviously those are very two opposite scenarios, and it's easy to say, oh, well, Maybe winning makes chemistry. Chemistry doesn't make winning. But, it's but chemistry makes hit and runs. Yeah, it's got to be D. Gordon. I say, as Scott Gervais calls another hit and run that works out, even though it shouldn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's got to be it. Just because I think he's representative of the culture as a whole. While also being good from a baseball standpoint. Yeah, I, it, is, it is one thing to bring... Charisma. It's uh, it's another thing to bring charisma and quality and all of these things together, and I think we've been really fortunate to see that so far this year. Also, if we're talking about unexpected surprises, I did not think I would like a team or appreciate the defense that this team has in the way that I do, because I mean it's obviously pretty clear when they're playing the Rangers who. Uh, whoever whoever happens to be their shortstop right now was running to cover for Segura on the hit and run and just completely did like a Looney Tunes style attempt at backpedaling to field uh, Denard Span single up the middle. We'll never not be weird to see him in a Mariners uniform. Yeah, I, you grew up watching a lot, a fair number of Giants games in the Bay Area, so I imagine. Seeing him return with gray in his beard is perhaps a little bit strange. Um, well, so we are here live at Safeco Field, and uh, we, we've got a lot of questions, uh, so I want to thank everyone for, for listening uh, and, and for being engaged. Um, we will give updates on this game that by the time you're listening, you will assuredly know the results of, <laughs> but... Uh, I think let's let's just go straight into these questions. Uh, if you guys are up with that, yeah. I will say a fun trick could be when you're at home, go back and look at a replay of the game and try to sync up the game to the podcast. <laughs> really, it'll enhance your listening yeah. experience at least tenfold. <laughs> yeah, this is a director's cut of the Mariners game. It's a little bit like when you have to sit up in the press box because when you're up there, you're not allowed to cheer or clap or anything like that. It's all very quiet and stoic, and it's very difficult to not cheer while sitting out here. But I am not going to be the one that ruins the audio. That can be you or everyone. <laughs> or Mike else. Zunino's walk-up music. Uh-huh. Or uh, the ushers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our third usher encounter. <laughs> uh, um, all right. Well, let's let's start with a question uh, here. We we put out a, qu- a, a series of calls, uh, particularly focused on uh, meringues, baseball itself, and. Uh, 
and of course Magic the Gathering. So that will color the questions that we have here to answer. But um, let's see. Let's start with let's start with Jack Johnson at Doctor Jack N Johnson on Twitter. Um, level of concern about Felix, uh, and what is our top solution for our Felix problem if we are worried? Extremely high. I think there's no hope, I've got to say. Maybe next year, maybe if the man develops a whole new, like, Rocky Forest-style workout routine, complete with some 80s montage, maybe. This year, it ain't happening. Only thing they can do, if they really want to solve it, is DL him. Put him on the DL for forearm strain. I don't care what you put him on the DL for. It's the only thing that you can do. He needs like a come to Jesus moment of and for the last two seasons it felt like we've had that opportunity of like, oh no, he's going to take it differently this time or he's going to approach it differently this time. But each time he's disappointed and he's come out and he'll have confident starts where he's kind of assess him like you know it's not old Felix but this is like a fine back end starter and that's all we need from him at this point but he's still kind of treating it he's like a he's like a 60 some retiree who's still out like at the gym trying to lift way more than he's capable of and it, it makes me sad to watch, and I think the rhetoric around it is even worse because the really crummy part is that there is nothing we can do. There's no other player on this team who is less immovable than he is. Like, you either phantom DL him or you just keep going. Like, there's no other way around it. Yeah, it's, it's tough to conceive of something that could change in the amount this season dramatically right like he can change his approach before games and he can have a little bit of better focus and perhaps even make some mechanical adjustments to be a little bit better with his command and, and I think that can lead to some better results but I mean you know, he's, he's throwing his fastball softer than he's ever thrown it before he's throwing you know he's getting hit harder than he's ever been hit before it's just you know you don't get velocity back mid-season you know you, you don't get stronger during the season and that's partially just because especially if you don't get a break you know like it, it'd be one thing if maybe he does get a sort of phantom DL and essentially get to do strength training for a month and then you know or a month or two and then come back but like it it would require such a dramatic focus shift for him and such a dramatic shift in terms of like here's what's you know I recognize that what I have done for my entire life no longer works I mean that that's that's a really difficult thing to ask of someone especially someone who has dominated his entire life and could excuse the last couple of years of like, well, I've been on the DL, I've been off the DL, I've been on the DL, I've been off the DL. Like, there's no explanation this year other than it's not working. But that's the first time that I think he's really ever having to come to grips with it. Right? I, mean, I think that's my big thing is like, it doesn't really matter if he does the strength training, if he does bring up his velocity, because we've got so many pitchers now who are, have shown that you can be a competent, capable starter mm-hmm. with low velocity. Like, that's not the issue. And that's what makes this so much more challenging is just that 
it's a mental thing. And Shannon Dreher had a great, or she had great commentary, I think she was just kind of interviewed for this on 710, about, again, this is another turning point for Felix. He looked, he sounded kind of ashamed and upset with how he was doing and with the rhetoric around him. And whether third time's a charm or like 13th time's a charm, (laughs) I can't even keep track of how many times he's expressed frustration and disappointment. Um, Yeah, that's the tough part. Like, we can't have him go and lift weights, or we can, that'd be great. Chicken legs scare me still, but it's it's such a mental thing. Yeah. Uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Zach. Oh, I was just wondering, I mean, at what point, say the Mariners make the playoffs, and, you know, if the Mariners make the playoffs in a wild card game, obviously hypothetical, James Paxton starts it. Yeah. They win, let's just say. Yeah. Go to the ALDS against whoever, the Astros, the Red Sox. An amazing team. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Who do you start? At this point, unfortunately, number one and number two are Mike Leake and Marco Gonzalez. Game behind, three. Behind Paxton. Yeah, after yeah. Paxton. Because oh, yeah. Paxton's not available because he started right. the wild card game. Yeah. Do you start Felix game three? If not, who? I mean, that last part is the trick, right? It's like, it's not that we would want to start Felix. It's that there's, I mean, if the Mariners make the playoffs, I have to believe that Wade LeBlanc will have wrung out every last bit of magic (laughs) left in his body. Uh And so we'll be left with a a shell of a man. (laughs) (laughs) Just a a little bayou husk. Because otherwise, like, Honestly, if it gets to that point, with the bullpen that they have, with the pieces that they have, a like high-end bullpen day at the end of a series would not be the worst thing in the world. It ha- you'd have to figure it would be the end, and it would be very scary and awful to watch. But like, <laughs> essentially, what the Astros did for most of last season's playoffs of just like mixing and matching pieces so that uh-huh. no guy was throwing more than like three innings because like I don't want Felix to start a whole game on his own I don't really want uh maybe Erasmus back in time like maybe Wade does still have a little bit left in his washcloth like <laughs> stringing them together I guess like it yeah. it stinks yeah it's There'll, there'll be a spot because there's no. I mean, you'll, you'll you'll have a situation, but I think that that point of in the playoffs, you do just have such a shortened requirement that you know any amount that you can get out of him is still valuable, and and you know you'll have whoever starting pitching, you know you have up for starting pitching whether that's Rowan Elias or whether that's Ariel Miranda or whoever. Maybe you know, you Max Posey up. decides it's yeah. not god awful. Yeah, I mean, you know, basically, like right now, the Mariners have seven or eight people who are about the same in terms of what you can expect from them, just in AAA and AA right now, and you know, one of those people takes a step forward, then you have a replacement. But right now, none of them are making a, a push enough that you could really say we got to replace Felix with this guy. So I think you you just got to cross your fingers and hope he figures it out, honestly, because there's not really 
there's no, there's, you know, I mean, he's only under contract through next year, and there's only so much you can do midseason. Um, uh, sure. Which which question do you want to do next here? Oh, there are multiple sad starter questions. Oh, perhaps. Uh, I was referring to the one about Kuma. Uh, yes, uh, that is a good question. Uh, the simple the simple question here is uh, from Zach Mason, puke at real Zach Mason. Um, God love you, Wade LeBlanc. Just with another strikeout looking, you know how it is. Um, Zach gave a couple good questions. So, does Hisashi Iwakuma ever throw another pitch in Major League Baseball? Yes, I. But I'll, not for the Mariners. Oh, nope. not this year. Oh, probably for a different team next year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I my inclination is to say no, just because he seems to be hitting every obstacle possible. And when he comes back, when he came back last year, it was so abysmal. And I I don't want to see that. I guess this is this isn't what I think realistically, but I want him to not pitch again I think I guess I think yes because the Mariners have put so much into giving him the chance that I think he does still get the benefit of the doubt at least in terms of getting another shot if he makes his way all the way back eventually even if it's August by the time he's actually able to throw Um, because I mean again like if they're in a playoff push, if it's the end of the season, do you want to gift a player that we love very much this, like, gratuitous opportunity that may not actually turn out well I, on the field? I guess my feeling is I'm not sure who would be that much better. Then, Assuming he comes back like he was last year? Oh, assuming he comes back like he was last year, then, yeah, it would be worse. But, I mean, uh, the the ostensible <laughs> idea, then it's no good. But, like, assuming ostensibly that he comes back and is any amount better than he was last year, where we assume he was hurt, you know, they're giving Wade LeBlanc, who is essentially left-handed Hisashi Iwakuma when he's on his game, a lot of time. And if Iwakuma can do almost literally half as well, as Wade LeBlanc has been doing, then that's an upgrade over Felix, and that's also, like, even if you just ask him to do long relief or something like that, you know, I I guess I think he gets another shot. I don't think he... I don't think he makes it back in terms of being an impact, but I think for the amount of time that he's been given to work and for the amount of, you know, success he's had previously, I think think he does get a shot. Um... Let's go. Let's go into our first magic question here. Um, our question comes from John Fraley at John David Fraley. Uh, Zachary, uh, you asked for it. Which Mariner has trample? Which has vigilance? How about reach? Uh, or at the very least, if we, if we want to start simple, what color creature would Nelson Cruz and James Paxton be? Alright, well, I've thought about this a little, to be honest. And I've got to say, Nelson Cruz 
would definitely be red. Because the whole point of red, just as a color, is it's just it just beats you down. It just it it just hits you really hard. That's just kind of its whole thing. It just it's pretty one dimensional. It just hits you hard. And I love Nelson Cruz, but that's pretty much all he does. Interesting. He just hit the ball hard. So he's red. James Paxton is blue because what blue does is it just like you want to try to do stuff in magic and blue's like no you can't do stuff it, it, it's like hey everything you're doing yeah screw you f you you don't get to do that you don't even get to play the game so james paxton doesn't really let other hitters play the game so because of that he's blue I See, I think I would have gone Nelson Cruz as green because I feel like he's sort of like you got to take some time to really get him going. But once he's on, <laughs> he's just dominant. That's that's fair. He's inconsistent, and green is not consistent. <laughs> that's true. Uh, Speaking as a loser of many a tournament when trying to play green. Would we, I guess, in this situation, consider Wade LeBlanc to be black because he's essentially just like a revenant sapping anything of, of uh, its ability slowly? Black just destroys stuff, and I guess Wade doesn't really destroy much. He just kind of is there. <laughs> because of that, I'd call him white. <laughs> he just maintains he presence. He just exists, right? He's just very bland he's like wonder bread but effective you know <laughs> if i had a starving person in front of me wonder bread would work so in the way of the block oh gene segura with the ball off the off the base of the wall and right there love a nice one out double um in that, uh, in that same vein here uh what is the worst collectible card game? Uh, and I'm actually curious, Isabel, do you have you ever played any collectible card games? No. <laughs> okay. Do you have an opinion on which one the worst one is? I don't think I could name a collectible card game for you. Pokemon was that. Pokemon card? was a card game. In addition to Magic: The Gathering. Are they the same? <laughs> no, they are different. <laughs> Although most collectible card games are, I guess, kind of just based on magic. So, in a sense, they are the same. No. Okay. <laughs> Zach? Uh, you know, I've played magic. It's awesome. I've played Pokemon. It's not as awesome, but, you know, you can still play it, I guess. Yu-Gi-Oh! is fine. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say the Harry Potter trading card game. Interesting. What? I'm not familiar with this it's particular. It's awful. I had a lot of the cards growing up because it didn't do a lot else. It just kind of existed. You, know? <laughs> you did or the game did? I did. Well, nah. the game existed too. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's just a terrible game. It's just awful. Like, you have... You know, you have, like, like lands or energies or whatever where you have, like, lessons where you, like, go to care of magical creatures class or whatever. But it, in the end, it's just a terrible... Everything about it's terrible. You have, like, character cards. It was a money grab. I, I'm bitter at the makers of that game for wasting my money and my time as a 10-year-old. <laughs> Precious time. Indeed. Could have been building sandcastles. Yeah, I, I, that sounds very bad. Um, I think... 
Yeah, I think Yu-Gi-Oh, despite the fact that I invested a lot of time and just generally love into that card game and series as a whole, uh, there was just a large stretch of it where I did not grasp the actual rules because the TV show for the first uh, season did completely not represent how the rules were actually played. So every time I'd play it with my friends, we'd just do it wrong. Uh, and that, uh, that really sort of held back the enjoyment factor for that one. Sounds like you didn't know how to duel very well, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say Yu-Gi-Oh! was awesome. Screw you, John. I, well, I loved it in many situations. It just didn't... It was misleading. Misleading uh, representation. Uh, let's go to a question here from Toblerone, that dog. At Toblerone underscore Dotus. Uh, do you prefer or do you favor merengue music or other forms of the salsa variety? I prefer bachata. That is my, if we're doing this genre. What is bachata? Um, it's just like another style of kind of Latin drum heavy ish music. Okay. Not like drum heavy like we think of it here. Mm-hmm. That's fair, Zach. You, you've been a dancing man in, in the past. You know, I love Latin music, but I'm not a fan of salsa or merengue. So if you say of the salsa variety, no, none. None of the above. I do love Spanish hip-hop, specifically the band Orishas. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Interesting. Um, I will go with uh, Samba. Not really knowing what the differentiation there is, but I do like the uh, Roberto Mendez song. Hey! This, on, on cue, Nelson Cruz comes up and is like, um, uh, yes, I think, I think Samba's the way I'm going to go. Let's see here. Um, a question from Matthew Roberson. Uh, if the three of us played basketball against LeBron James. How long would it take for you to score a single point? Uh, not as long as it would take Nelson Cruz, who, in addition to favoring basketball in high school, just hit a home run. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nelson Cruz says inconsistent my ass uh, is that uh, with his second straight just absolutely obliterated baseball of the day. This one actually hit not to the deepest possible part of the ballpark. brings me a lot of joy and also I think definitely plays a role in filling the Robinson Cano hole because if you looked anytime he was always the one receiving everyone coming back to the dugout and now I think D's kind of stepped into that spot um, I will say it, it very our, our scoring possibilities are very dependent on if Zach can channel the one day in high school uh, or perhaps it was middle school, where during recess slash lunch, we went and played basketball, and he uh, hit, I believe, six or seven straight three-pointers, uh, which led to him being picked 
first uh, in the next several uh, pickup basketball games. Uh, after which I believe he may not have nailed another uh, three-pointer period. Uh, so definitely, definitely a microwave kind of guy. Sort of a you, you, offense in a can, but sometimes just a can. Uh, Thank you, John. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes offense. I have not improved since, I will say. It really depends on the rules, I think. If it's make it, take it. Never. Yeah, never. We're never making. We're never making a point. Well, Brian just dunks on us eight hundred times until we're all dead, and then that's it. We're dead, and we can't score. That's fair. The end. If it's not make it, take it. I'm confident we can just like jack up threes until eventually one goes down. Yeah. It also, depends on how. I guess if we're playing twenty-one. Okay. Sorry. Uh, some good crowd noise there. Um, yeah, if we're playing 21, I think we get one. Or technically, we probably get two if we're playing twos and, or ones and twos. Well, based on Matthew's question, we only need to score a single point here. And you guys are taking this much more talent-based than I would have. Uh, it's like... I don't know. If I jump on his back and cover his eyes, and Zach sets up a tripwire of some sort, sort of like capturing a bear in the woods. Yes, much like a capturing a bear in the woods, where you, you leap on his back. There's a, it's a lot of melee combat involved in capturing a bear in the woods. Isabel, I'm glad you're drawing on your extensive background knowledge, both of playing basketball and bear tra- and just large, big game hunting. <laughs> it is a fair point. We could think more outside the box. That is, that is fair. I just have a lot of faith in us and our creativity. We almost tomed our way into the terrorist club tonight. It's true, and we're sorry, listeners, that we did not because maybe you'd actually be able to hear like a tiny bit better uh, but in- instead this is what you get with just a lot of background volume alright uh, we are in the top of the fourth here uh, at Safeco Field uh, sun is still setting uh, but it is a gorgeous view we're out here in uh, right field just in the foul territory uh, third level so got a lovely view of the sun as it uh, sets down over downtown, seeing the wheel uh, as well as the Space Needle. Uh, and let's go to another question. Um, here's one from Westcott at WDW for the taking. Uh, D. V. Bach or Ryan Healney equipped with a baseball bat as your partner in fighting an army of vampiric Midwestern pitchers who are hell-bent on throwing baseballs at Nelson Cruz. Uh, we, we regret to inform you that during this question, Nomar Mazar has homered off of Wade LeBlanc, which is... It moved really slowly. Yeah, just a very high pop-up that it went very far because Nomar Mazar is upsettingly strong. Um, if Guillermo could have like, left into the center field stands, he would have. It's true. Um, I would prefer Ryan Ryan Healy uh, as as my sidekick in a in sort of a Van Helsing style battle uh, against uh, vampires. 
I think in terms of pure power, maybe if you're backed into a corner, Vogelbach sort of, he's got more, he, I mean, he's, he's both occupies space well, he also uh, does an excellent job of, um, he's, he's got shorter arms, I think, and therefore has, uh, you know, just, just better maneuverability in a tight space. But, you know, if, if you are having to, to maneuver in open space, you, you want Healy, you want someone sort of, who's got a good view of, of the open space. I wholly disagree that Dan Vogelbach has better maneuverability in any size space, no matter what. It's No, that's not true. Ryan Healy all the way. Gotta be Healy, especially if you're doing like an apocalypse-style odyssey where you just need to have a little comic relief. It's true. Ryan Healy is the Tyrese of any any sort of trip uh, across the nation. He's Tyrion. He's, he, like he's a very big Tyrion. Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that will work. Let's see. Uh, how about this question from Jack? Thumbs up, thumbs up. At Jack A. Meissner, maybe. M-E-I-S-S-N-E-R. Sorry about that one if we screwed it up, Jack. Uh, with the trade last week, is there any hope or possibility remaining of trading for Chris Archer? There is always hope of trading for Chris Archer. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I've been advocating let's trade Chris Archer or for Chris Archer and we give away Kyle Lewis, Braden Bishop, Evan White, <laughs> Sam Carlson, and honestly, whatever we want. Jerry DePoto's children, I don't care. <laughs> like, And the Rays would totally do that. One of them's draft eligible. They, they I might think, not even easy. need Jerry Depoto's children, but I mean, give it, as a good faith gesture. Uh, pizza oven. Yeah, that, there's the real. We'll there's the real the pizza gift. Oven. Um, yeah, it, it's. I mean, we know that the Mariners were asking about it, um, <laughs> but I mean, they are among many teams to be asking about it, and they are the team with likely the least um, least impressive farm system to be asking about it. So, you know, they could make a deal, uh, giving up essentially what Zach suggested. Uh, but it, it just, it's very difficult to see the Rays, who don't need to give up on Chris Archer, because they have him for a few more years under a very cost-friendly deal, um, you know, and who aren't terrible. You know, the Rays, their, their best days are probably uh, in a couple years, but still... They'd be selling low on him at this point too. Yeah, it like it doesn't make realistic sense. It would also be sort of bonkers for the Mariners and the Rays to trade two like high caliber starting pitchers plus their closer plus that an outfielder who was really good a couple of years ago. Yeah, like that's that's a lot. That's a lot of back and forth, and I think. This sort of touches on two things about that raise trade that just happened. This one, it said a whole lot more about the starting pitching market. So I think there's no way that the team did not inquire about starting pitching. And I think that anything that they had to offer was not substantial enough. Um, Ignoring that Jerickson Profar double, um, I think it also speaks to the fact that there is no one 
in this organization that is not that is off limits at this point. Which in the Mariners organization. In the Mariners organization, because like say what you will about how crummy the system is, at the very least everything's on the table, and I think Depoto is very much working at this point on a all or nothing, all in without not without burning the farm to the ground, but without like setting off a bomb. Yeah, it's it's. There's really only. I mean, the other trouble just is that none of the Mariners' prospects who even could be prospects really are at peak value. You know, and they're working their way back, right? Like Kyle Lewis is playing again and is Take showing some offense. You know, Sam Carlson threw a bullpen. Uh, you know, Evan White has put together a stretch of healthy games, but you know, none of those guys right now, other than Lewis, are top 100 prospects and. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's just very difficult to see when the Mariners could be outbid prospect-wise by pretty much any other team if the other team wanted it badly enough. And and the other teams, you know, like the Dodgers or uh, Cleveland or, you know, whoever, whoever would be adding another pitcher just wouldn't be as, you know, starved for prospects afterwards as the Mariners would be. So, um, let's see. Let's go to uh, a question here from uh, Chris at C from Bothell. Uh, are you mad at Cano? And what sort of welcome should he get in his first home game back, if any? Absolutely not. He chose us. I mean, that was enough. I mean... And, and honestly, who knows? We don't know enough to definitively say. He, I think at the least we can definitively say he he wasn't as careful as he could have been with whatever he was doing, whether or not it was a medical condition or otherwise. But but no, I'm, I'm not mad at Robbie. Robbie is the glue for this team. Robbie is our everything. Robbie showed up at my house tonight and he's like, get in the car. I need you. I'd be like, Robbie, whatever you need. I'll, I'll do it. I'll let me let me help you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's excellent insight into Zach's love life too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's rude. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I am disappointed in the sense that I think it it hurts the team that he got caught, but I it's. I don't know. I'm I'm more disappointed in the system generally, still than I am in you know you know like it's there's there's a sense of like you know the rules you shouldn't break the rules, but I also think like something like PEDs or something like I don't know even uh, general what how do they define like drugs like weed or uh, drugs of abuse I guess I, is what they call it in, in MLB is like it's it's not so much that these things are so horrid as it is that if people don't, if we don't know what guys are doing, then that adds all this mystery and all this nastiness and all this debate of like, well, does it really count or is he just a cheater who got all the, you know, it's like if we know what guys are doing or are not doing, I feel like that transparency takes sort of, it takes the, you know, takes the teeth out of, 
the awfulness of, of the situation. And, and it, I, I guess it, that is in its own right, its own level of regulation and making sure people are doing things safely and making sure, you know, kids are not starting too early. But I mean, right now we already know that kids are starting and taking PEDs and doing things, but much less safely and without, you know, regulation. So that, I, that's where I stand on it is that, it's bad that he got caught, but I, I, I begrudge the system more than I begrudge him individually. When the news first broke, I was surprised by how betrayed I felt, which is a strong way of phrasing it, but that's all I could I can think of is just that he was this guy we held in the highest, highest regard, and whether, however, however you feel about PED usage... It brings a lot of terrible conversations about character into play. And after a while, after I got over just like being disappointed, it's a frustrating situation because like steroid usage is such a systemic problem, especially in Latin America, where it's seen as a way something that you do when you have to succeed. Because I we're never going to understand the kind of pressure that these young Dominican, Puerto Rican, Venezuelan guys are under. They're 13, 14, 15 years old and they're carrying the weight of their entire extended family on their shoulders. Like I can't I can't get upset with them wanting to do everything they possibly can, especially when the league is so inconsistent with testing, I think they have a, not a double standard, but lack the consistency to enforce it fully. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it, it's not like, oh, he needs to be brought, welcome back as a conquering hero or anything, but yeah. just, you know, he's just, he's back. he's back. Yeah. He's back and he's a really good player and there's never been any indication that he wants anything more than to help the team win and has ever ever been anything more than not only the consummate teammate but actually a teammate that goes out of his way to help make other players on the team better you know i mean like the the biggest controversy that we've had since he got to seattle was that he tried to offer help to brad miller apparently and brad miller didn't want help and and that that was sort of an like <laughs> how can you be Brad Miller looking at Robinson Cano like nah I don't need that <laughs> yeah um so yeah it, he'll be back he'll be good uh we'll just take a couple more here uh, we're we're now we're still in the top of the fourth it's been a long one uh, Wade LeBlanc has given up the one run uh, and is also and he's do- working in his most weird way. Yeah, just doing his his little shenanigans of striking out Joey Gallo somehow on what felt like fifteen pitches, uh, and then getting Rugnit Odor to pop out. Um, here's a question from Mariners and O's fan at Orioles PDX: You are Jerry Depoto sitting down with ownership to talk about a new contract. Make your case, uh, Zach. What? Our team has Gene Segura and Mitch Hanniger, and our team does not have Taiwan Walker and Cattell Marte. The end. <laughs> also, I'm super sexy. That's like it. That's all I say. 
I mean, come on. He's a good. He's a good-looking man, and who just turned fifty, I think. Really. I believe. So, That's amazing. Yeah, I, I believe just turned fifty this year, or he's at least in his late forties, if not if not fifty. Um, I mean, yeah. You lay out the Segura Hanniger trade. You lay out the proactiveness of this season. I think this season has gone really well. Um, and I think that a number of his decisions and acquisitions have helped push that along. So like moving Edwin into the bullpen, like mm-hmm. that's a great move. Uh, it worked with Alta Villa too. Maybe like stuff their ears with cotton balls, make them forget all about Drew Smiley. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think the big thing for DePoto is that, and also from a fan perspective, I want to see, I want to see a full cycle. I want to see a full life cycle of a prospect that DePoto has drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, one that's not marred by injuries. Like there will be some injuries, but I want to see one of his 2016 or a couple of his 2016 picks coming up to the majors and what they're actually capable of doing. Wade is amazing. Wade, he should, just, Wade he should wave Wade LeBlanc's face in their faces and that's it's enough of an yeah. yeah. I think I think the case for Jerry DePoto is very much as as Isabella and Zach stated, you you've got these young, controllable players who are in their prime. You you don't have sort of the long uh, you know, stretch of 23-year-old talent that some teams have. But you have a lot of guys who are in the peak of how they're going, in the, in the time where they are most likely to perform at their peak. Um, and, I, you know, if you as a team are committed to winning in the next five years, then I think sticking with this is is the way that you want to go because you know I, I mean even as we've seen this year you know like the team has had a lot of injuries and has had a lot of things go pretty poorly um you know and they have still managed to stick together a, a competitive team and, and even a good team and this is sort of the same line of thinking as like the cruise extension which yes the mariners should extend nelson cruise um but this idea of like who oh D Gordon D Gordon second baseman who are the We're better options like is there anyone available for the GM position that is a demonstrative upgrade over to Poto and I think also the other part of this is that in order to properly assess a GM you need more than three years yeah and so even if he even if they don't extend his contract and they terminate him this year we're still not going to be able to fully assess his tenure here yeah especially with the kind of top to bottom way that he went about changing the organization mm-hmm. and and i think the point about the production for this team is by and large coming from guys who are in their, you know, who are still in their prime or are getting better. You know, I mean, especially with Cano out now, right? Like, the only really 
old guys on the team that are that are there are Felix and Denard Span, right? Like, well, and Span's gone after. Yeah, and, and Span is a well, Span presumably will be a free agent. They have a team option, but it'd be surprising if they took it on him um, for eleven million dollars. So. You know, it's Segura's one Mark Zepchinski. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, so like Segura's twenty-eight, D. Gordon's twenty-nine or thirty. You know, Seager's thirty, Healy's twenty-six. Is he? Yeah, twenty-six, twenty-seven. You know, Hanager's twenty-six, twenty-seven. Zunino's twenty-six, twenty-seven. Marco Gonzalez is twenty-five, (laughs) twenty-six. I mean, you know, all of all of these guys who are contributors, Mike Leak, I guess, is a little bit. You know, James Paxton's 28, 29. You know, all of these guys. You know, this is this is you know the group that you're going to have, and you're not being finan- You're not going to be financially constricted by any of these guys for a while. Which financially constricted, obviously, that's also sort of a construct in terms of what the ownership is willing to pay. But it's a, it's a weird team in that. They're not young and they're not old, um, and there's no there's no like young talent that's going to come up quickly. But everyone they have right now is essentially locked in for a chunk of time. Cano moving around, notwithstanding, but it also these are all guys who at an arbitration is in our favor here financially and I think that maybe gives them a little extra leeway if they have position players who are relatively middle-aged and cost-controlled then maybe they can spend a little more on starting pitching how many times have we said that in the (laughs) past but yeah um let's see here uh we can go to one of one of our final questions here from Chris at C from Bothell. What is the weirdest food you've seen meringue on? Intentionally. Not just, oh, I had dinner and dessert on the same plate, and now my lemon pie has turkey gravy on it. Zach? I I don't know what sea meringue means, to be honest. What is meringue? Egg residue? Is that excuse, it? Excuse you. It's, it's egg, I'm excused. And it's egg whites and sugar whipped until they're frothy. You add whatever flavoring your heart desires, traditionally vanilla, a little bit of cream of tartar. You whip them up, and then you, like, plop them onto a pan in little, like, shoots. No, no, I understand what meringues are. He's just asking what's the weirdest food we've seen meringue on. Yes. And so he's asking... <laughs> So he's asking. Congratulations like, on reading the question. <laughs> so, he, so he's asking, what have we seen that concoction you just described on top of? Indeed, or in like a lemon meringue pie. This is a fun behind. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing. The amount of disdain <laughs> that you have towards meringues, my favorite food in the world. Wade LeBlanc, by the way, has once again slipped through the fingers of Joey Gallo with a deep fly ball to left field that Denard Span did manage to read the spin on this time for. Um, I don't know if I've seen any weird things on meringues or weird things that meringues have been on. Uh, my senior year of college, 
we the English department had a like literary dessert contest. So my a literary dessert contest. Uh huh. Um, so my roommate and I made a whole bunch of meringues, baked them, dipped them in chocolate, and did a bunch of tapes on kind of different pounds of classic literature so we had a shroom of one's own and a shroom with a view because they were meant to look like small mushrooms um, they're actually very cute I'm going to try and find a picture I was very proud we got second place and we really deserved first who got first? Oh, Molly Hogan oh Ugh. What did she Molly do? was fine I'm certain she's listening right now <laughs> Do you remember what Molly Hogan did? I, no, I don't remember. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we'll we'll finish here uh, with a question from uh, from Kyle Geller. Uh, what is we got the the Mariners? Well, the Mariners and every other team have the 2018 Amateur Draft June. Fourth uh, on uh, it's next Monday, uh, so just in a few days by the time you guys are hearing this, and, uh, and it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a very important one. Uh, we'll try and have actually a podcast out, uh, perhaps about that uh, if we can swing it. Uh, maybe on Monday, if not, then soon afterwards, sort of recapping day one. But uh, what is the best case and worst case for day one of the draft? Um, Isabel, I know you're not much of a, a prospect fan, but you have done some some draft uh, prep for you, you've plugged your nose uh, and done some prospects analysis for us. So, the Mariners do not play a game uh, on the day of the draft, and I'm actually not sure if that's a universal thing. Um, the worst case scenario for day one of the draft is if Gene Segura falls down the stairs of his <laughs> rental house and sprains his ankle and also takes down, I don't know, Heredia with him. That's worst case scenario for day one of the draft. Best case scenario is that they... Oh, I don't know, that they draft a bunch of dudes and then... Ten years from now, we see those dudes actually doing something on a major league baseball field. I'm, I like uh, Josh Naylor. Is that who it is? Mm-hmm. He's a catcher from Canada. Uh, um, actually, Noah Naylor, I believe. Noah Naylor, thank Josh you. Josh Naylor's brother. Yes, good. Okay. Um, and what's his face? Kumar Rocker. Just like that kind of name. Big old right-handed also, pitcher. Also, he's from giant and a Georgia. big part of what make high school prospect scary is the fact that they're a 18 which think about what you were like when you're 18 um and b usually they're tiny and scrawny and just prepubescent looking and kumar rocker looks like exactly what his name would have you believe he is so zach what prospect am i most excited about just read the questions we're listening to john uh, the question. <laughs> the question wasn't up on the screen. Well, you didn't even have it anywhere near. Oh, the question was, what's the best case, worst case scenario for the draft on Monday? 
Best case scenario for the draft is it all happens in one day, and then it doesn't exist anymore. Worst case is some people take hella long on their picks, and it runs over into day two. Okay, it is a multi-day thing anyway. Great. Worst case scenario is already happening. This is horrible. Look, I'm going to be honest. I hate the draft. It's a very low-yield thing. See, sorry. I just studied for this big-ass test called the MCAT, and there's, they divide this... Sorry, sorry. So just to be clear, this, this man will soon be a doctor. When you say soon, you mean like eight years from now. Yeah, of course. Exactly. When the Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's this concept on the test called high-yield topics and low-yield topics, and it's basically things that are most likely to show up are high-yield. Things that you can study but aren't likely to be on the test are low yield, but they could still be there. Same thing with prospects. Except every single prospect <laughs> is low yield because, like, half of a percent of everyone that gets drafted, I will even hear another thing about, and I just can't bring myself to invest the mental energy to give a shit. That isn't to take the like anything away from the wonderful draft coverage that the rest of my coworkers do here at this wonderful site. I just can't bring myself to care about the draft. So the sooner it's over, the better the case of the scenario is all I can say. Alright. Uh, for a, I guess, more enthusiastic uh, appraisal, I will say uh, the best case is that somehow Nick Madrigal falls to the Mariners and the Mariners get a middle infield prospect who not only is sensational uh but also local um and underrated due to his size but does literally everything else incredibly which as we've seen increasingly throughout baseball uh the traditional sense of well physically you don't project to work but you do everything else that works in baseball eh, more likely than not give that guy a chance because until they stop succeeding they're gonna have success and and madrigal does pretty much everything you could hope for from a uh, from a middle infield prospect um, barring that Jared Kalenic, uh outfield high school prospect from uh, Wisconsin uh, who's sort of been under seen due to bad weather and also Wisconsin uh, but has physical tools has uh, performed pretty damn well when he's been uh, facing top competition uh but it's just kind of slipped due to not being seen that much and due to college guys doing more uh that would be really something worth seeing uh and and really exciting really the worst case scenario is is just that uh you know i I mean any worst case scenario there's not this draft especially in the top uh sort of 50 or 60 is so deep not in the way that uh not in the way that every guy is elite but just in terms of there are just a lot of a lot of guys who could go anywhere between 10th and 50th or 60th and the Mariners get two of those guys so I think it's uh, anyone that the Mariners get is just going to be a huge boon for the for the system um well I think that is going to conclude it for us here live at Safeco Field. The Mariners uh, are currently clinging uh, through Wade LeBlanc magic to a 3-1 lead. 
I need them to uh, score like 500 runs. Yeah, just I'm so tired. Really, a blowout would be awesome. Um, well, we did just watch Delano DeShields dive, miss the baseball by like four feet, and then have it bounce up and hit him directly in the face. Uh, so Jeff Bannister has walked at about. 0.2 miles per hour out to center field and now is uh, checking on that. Uh, Zach? Yeah, Delino DeShields got Good. brained just now. <laughs> uh, you know, I really can't say much besides I'm super glad I'm not him. That's um, he just had his brains just removed from uh, his face. Would you say, referencing Josh Wetzel's question, that that is an appropriate punishment for anyone who builds a milling deck? Milling decks are the scum of the earth. If you build one, it's because you hate everyone. Which, to be fair, I hate everyone, but I'm not a bad person. Especially so prospects. I don't build a milling deck because okay. that's something only a terrible person who also hates everyone would do. All right. So their proper punishment, yeah, I think getting brained by a bouncing fly ball to center field is an appropriate punishment for building a milling deck. All right. Uh, well, Mitch Hanniger is up to bat, uh, so I think this is the, the right. T- I'm contractually obligated to end the podcast. Uh, we'll end this with with I guess the the final question here from Westcott. Uh, this has been John Troopin, Zach Gottschalk, and Isabel Manassian. Uh, Zach, which Mariner is most likely to sing tenor in the church choir this Sunday? Ryan Healy. recently and we were shocked by how high his voice was someone was oh uh, was it Alex Colome? no uh, uh, hey other teams making errors uh, I mean I feel like it must be a reliever unless it's Gordon Beckham I'm going to say Gordon Beckham. I'm going to say Gordon Beckham because uh, he's got some free time, but he should still be given a shot. All right. Everyone have a good night. Uh, go Mariners. Bye. <laughs>